Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons on the great doctrines of the Christian faith as they're summarized in the Belgic Confession of Faith. Today, with the Lord's help, we want to consider the subject of holy baptism. And in that connection, I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, as we read the verses 16 through 20. Hear God's word. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. This ends the reading of the Holy Word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to our hearts. Dear friends, the Lord Jesus Christ has given to his church two sacraments. The first is the sacrament of holy baptism, and the second is the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Now, as we saw the last time in this series, when we considered Article 33, these sacraments serve at least three purposes. First of all, they serve to seal unto us the promises of God. Secondly, they serve as pledges of the goodwill and grace of God towards us. And thirdly, they serve to nourish and strengthen our faith. Well, now after explaining the sacraments in general, our confession goes on in Article 34 to explain in more detail the sacrament of holy baptism. Now, this article, like the article that follows it on the Lord's Supper, is very lengthy. In fact, it's one of the longest in the Belgic Confession. And that's because when this confession was written, there was much controversy and a lot of misunderstanding in the church regarding this sacrament, and there still is today. First of all, there's controversy over the meaning of baptism. Some, like Roman Catholics, Anglicans, Lutheran churches, say that baptism imparts the grace of regeneration. But as we'll see, that is simply not true. Baptism does not seal or signify anything in the person who is being baptized. It only seals and signifies the promises of God. Secondly, there is controversy in the church over the mode of baptism. Anabaptists and their modern-day successors, Baptists and Pentecostals and Mennonites, and various community-type churches, insist that the only proper way to baptize is by immersion. But Reformed and Presbyterian churches say that baptism can also be administered by sprinkling or pouring. What's most important is not the mode, but the meaning. Thirdly, there is controversy in the church over the recipients of baptism. Again, the Anabaptists and their successors argue that only believers may be baptized upon making a credible confession of faith. But Reformed and Presbyterian churches say that infants of believers must also be baptized. 
Now, we'll touch on some of these controversies a little later, but I trust you'll understand I cannot deal with all of them, nor can I deal with them all in great detail. But I hope that this brief overview will at least shed some light on what the Scriptures teach concerning this important subject. Let us then consider the sacrament of holy baptism. And we'll do that under three headings. First of all, the type it fulfills. Secondly, we'll consider the message it conveys. And thirdly, the promise it seals. The first observation we need to make about holy baptism is that it fulfills an Old Testament type. A type is something that points to and is fulfilled by Christ. Now, the Old Testament is full of such types. We can think of the tree of life or the ark of Noah, the sacrifice of Isaac, the tabernacle, the prophets, priests, and kings of Israel and Judah, and all the sacrifices. All of these things and more are types of Christ. They point to and they find their fulfillment in him. Well, the sacrament of holy baptism also fulfills an Old Testament type. and In this case, the type is circumcision. You may remember when God made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 17, he commanded him to circumcise all the males of his household and any male that would be born at eight days of age. Circumcision was a sign and seal of the covenant that God made with Abraham. In this covenant, God promised to be the God of Abraham and to all of his descendants. And he separated them from all the other nations of the world and entered into a relationship of favor with them. He also promised to give them the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And to seal these promises, God gave the sign of circumcision. Now, he does exactly the same in baptism. The difference between baptism and circumcision is not in what is sealed, for they both seal the same promises, but rather it is the sign. The sign of circumcision is the cutting off of the foreskin, which was a picture of our need to cut off sin out of our hearts, whereas the sign of baptism is water. Now, why did the sign change? Well, the sign changed because circumcision involves the shedding of blood. But with the coming of Christ, no more blood needs to be shed. All the blood that needed to be shed, Christ shed when he died on the cross. This is why we no longer sacrifice animals. This is why we no longer circumcise either, because both involve the shedding of blood. The covenant and the promises are the same. The only thing that has changed is the sign. The Belgian Confession puts it like this, and I quote, We believe and confess that Jesus Christ, who is the end of the law, has made an end by the shedding of his blood of all other sheddings of blood which men could or would make as a propitiation or satisfaction for sin. And that he, having abolished circumcision, which was done with blood, has instituted the sacrament of baptism instead thereof. So here... The Belgian Confession, in line with the teaching of Scripture, clearly says that Christ, who is the end or the fulfillment of the law, shed his blood once and for all. No more blood needs to be shed, therefore baptism replaces circumcision. Now this is echoed by the Apostle Paul in Colossians 2, verses 10 and 11. Paul writes, And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised, with the circumcision made without hands, 
in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So Paul here is speaking of the circumcision made without hands. And in the same breath, he speaks of the circumcision of Christ. Now what is this? Well, it can only be baptism. Baptism is the Christian circumcision. Now if that is true, and it is, then infants ought to be baptized. Just as infants of believers in the Old Testament receive the sign and seal of circumcision, so infants of believers in the New Testament must receive the sign and seal of baptism. In fact, our confession at the end of this article makes this statement. And I quote, What circumcision was to the Jews, that baptism is to our children. And for this reason, Paul calls baptism the circumcision of Christ. Now it goes without saying that a very large segment of the Christian church does not agree with this. Like the Anabaptists before them, they believe that baptism is to be administered only to confessing believers. What is more, they teach that if someone was baptized as an infant, they need to be rebaptized when they come to faith in Christ. Their baptism, they say, as an infant was meaningless. And that's where we get the name Anabaptist from, which literally means to be baptized again. But we take issue with this. Our confession gives several reasons why we need to baptize infants. First of all, it says, we believe that our children ought to be baptized and sealed with the sign of the covenant as the children in Israel formerly were circumcised upon the same promises which are made unto our children. So here, our confession points out that if children were included in the old covenant, then they must also be included in the new covenant. If that were not the case, then we would have a hard time understanding in what way the new covenant was a fuller and richer manifestation of the old. What is more, we would expect that if after thousands of years, children were no longer included in the covenant, there would be some statement to that effect in the New Testament. But the New Testament contains no such statement. If anything, the New Testament simply assumes that the covenant which God made with Abraham and his seed continues right into the new dispensation. Just think of Acts 2, verse 39. In Acts 2, we have the description of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And you may remember how on that occasion, Peter preached a sermon explaining what was happening. And at the end of that sermon, he accused the Jews of crucifying the promised Messiah. And the Jews were so convicted by this that they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said this. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then he said, for the promise is unto you and to your children. Now one would have thought that at this important juncture in the history of redemption, that if children were no longer included in the covenant of grace, that Peter would have said so. But he doesn't. He says, as it were, the promise is still unto you and to your children, just as it always was. And for that reason, infants are to be baptized. Second reason stated here is this. Christ shed his blood no less for the washing of the children of the faithful than for adult persons. And therefore, they ought to receive the sign and sacrament 
of that which Christ has done for them. So here the Belgian Confession points out that the work which Christ did was not just for adult persons, but for their children as well. And we know that because some parents, when some parents brought their children to Jesus, he took them in his arms and blessed them and said that of such is the kingdom of heaven. Now if Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven belonged to the children of these believers, how then can we exclude them from baptism, which is a sign of belonging to that kingdom? Now to further buttress this argument, the Belgian Confession also points out that in the law of Moses, the Lord commanded that children should be made partakers of the sacrament of Christ's suffering and death shortly after they were born, by offering for them a lamb, which was a sacrament of Jesus Christ. So here the Belgian Confession is referring to the fact that the law of Moses required a mother and father to offer up a young lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or turtle dove for a sin offering upon giving birth to a child. And the purpose of the sacrifice was to make atonement for the sins of both the mother and of the child. Since all Old Testament sacrifices pointed to Christ, and since the sacrifice was made on behalf of the child, we conclude that children have an interest in the work of Christ, as well as their believing parents. And as such, they ought to be baptized. Now, over and against this, our Baptist brethren will say no. First of all, they'll say that nowhere does the New Testament say that infants are to be baptized. And while that is true, it must also be admitted that that's an argument from silence. For nowhere does the New Testament explicitly say that infants are not to be baptized. Secondly, our Baptist brethren will argue that there's not a single instance recorded in the New Testament of an infant being baptized. And that too is true. But there are several examples of whole households being baptized, such as the Philippian jailer. And it would be highly unlikely if there were no infants in any of these households. Besides, the fact that we do not find any examples of children being baptized in the New Testament is exactly what we would expect. We must remember that the New Testament describes a period in the history of the Christian church when many were coming to faith in Christ for the first time. And that explains why there are many examples of adults receiving baptism and not a single example of a child receiving baptism, albeit it is there by implication through household baptisms. Thirdly, and perhaps the most important argument, our Baptist brethren argue that the Bible teaches that baptism is conditioned on faith. In other words, faith must precede baptism. And to back up that argument, they'll point to Mark 16, verse 16, where the Lord Jesus says to his disciples, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believes not shall be damned. Now our Baptist brethren read that verse and they say, well, there you have it. Baptism follows believing. First a person must believe, then he can be baptized. That's the order of the text. But we need to remember that Jesus is speaking these words immediately after commanding his disciples to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, naturally, most of those who would come to faith would be adults. Therefore, he says, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Jesus is most certainly not saying that faith is a condition for baptism. If that were the case, then no child could ever be saved because children, especially under the age of two or three, cannot exercise faith. And so our confession is correct when it says that infants of believers 
ought to be baptized. If infants were circumcised in the Old Testament, then they ought to be baptized in the New. Now, dear friends, this is a wonder of God's grace. It is a wonder to think that God is willing to have dealings not only with us, but also with our children, even while they are still infants, even before they know that there is a God. He wants to come them to come to him, to believe on him, to embrace his son, Jesus Christ, as their Lord and Savior and King. Now, God didn't have to do any of this. He would have been perfectly just to leave us in the misery in which we plunged ourselves and our children, but he didn't do so. Instead, he comes to us and to our children, and he promises, like he promised to Abraham, to be our God and to bestow on us all the benefits of his salvation through faith and repentance in Christ. Oh, how then can we not love him? How then can we not serve him? Such a God is worthy of all that we are and all that we have. And so baptism replaces circumcision. But what's the message of baptism? That's our second point. The message of baptism is conveyed by the sign. Remember the last time we saw that sacraments are wholly visible signs and seals. Well, the sign of baptism is water. Why water? Because of all the elements which God created, none more effectively represents what is signified in baptism than water. Think about it. What is one of the things that water is used for the most? And it is washing. We use water to wash everything. We use it to wash our hands, our clothes, even our cars. Water is used for washing. And that's why the Lord used water in the sacrament of baptism, as opposed to any other kind of element. Because just as water washes away dirt, so the blood of Christ, which the water represents, washes away all of our sins. The Belgian Confession puts it like this. As water washes away the filth of the body when poured upon it and is seen on the body of the baptized when sprinkled upon him, so does the blood of Christ, by the power of the Holy Ghost, internally sprinkle the soul, cleanse it from its sins, and regenerate us from children of wrath unto children of God. You notice what cleanses the soul from sin is not the water of baptism. It's the blood of Christ. Now, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that it's the water of baptism. They teach that once consecrated by the priest, the water of baptism actually washes away our sin and regenerates us. And we call that baptismal regeneration. But that's simply not true. The water of baptism doesn't wash away sin. Only the blood of Christ washes away sin. Nor does the water of baptism regenerate us. Only the Holy Spirit working through the Word regenerates us. And so we see that our baptism ultimately points to Christ. As such, our baptism is of great value. Many times in the Christian life, we lose sight of Christ. We focus on ourselves rather than on Him. And when we look at ourselves, what do we see? We see nothing but sin and shortcoming. And that can often make us feel down and depressed, spiritually depressed. It can even make us question whether we are really the children of God. But then our baptism speaks and it reminds us that our standing before God is not based on anything in us. It is all in Christ. And that whatever sins remain against our will in us upon true repentance will all be washed away by the blood of Christ so that we may stand before God as though we had never sinned. And it's for this reason that our confession says that our baptism avails us not only at the time that the water is poured upon us, 
and received by us, but also through the whole course of our life. Our baptism speaks to us throughout our entire lives, pointing us continually to Christ, reminding us continually of what we have in Christ. I've heard it said that whenever Martin Luther felt attacked by the devil, he would write in giant letters the words, Baptizatus sum, which is Latin for, I am baptized. Luther's baptism was for him a continual reminder that no matter how strong the attacks of the devil may be, his salvation was secure in Christ, and no one and nothing could pluck him from his hand. Well, my friends, what about you today? Do you hear your baptism speaking to you? Don't close your ears to its voice, but respond and live out of its comfort every day again. So our baptism conveys an important message. But it also seals to us a wonderful promise. And that leads to my third and final point. So far we've seen that baptism is a sign. It's a sign of cleansing by the blood of Christ. But it's also a seal. Now what's a seal? A seal is a mark of authenticity. If I graduate from a college or university, I will receive a diploma. And on the diploma is the seal of the institution which granted the degree. And that seal guarantees that the person named on the diploma has actually earned the degree that is stated on the diploma and that it is earned by a bona fide institution of higher learning. Well, our baptism says exactly the same. It seals to us the promises of God. And in so doing, it guarantees that all these promises are real and true and for us personally. Belgian Confession makes, it, makes this clear when it says, and I quote, Therefore the ministers on their part administer the sacrament and that which is visible. But our Lord gives that which is signified by the sacrament, namely the gifts and invisible grace, washing, cleansing, and purging our souls of all filth and unrighteousness, renewing our hearts and filling them with all comfort, giving unto us a true assurance of his fatherly goodness, putting on us the new man, and putting off the old man with all his deeds. So here the Belgian Confession outlines in more detail what is promised to us in baptism. Namely, and I quote, the gifts and invisible grace of the Lord. And what, is, what are these gifts and invisible grace? Well, there are three of them. First of all, there's washing, cleansing, and purging our souls of all the filth and unrighteousness which Christ does in regeneration. Secondly, there's the renewing of our hearts and filling them with all comfort, giving unto us a true assurance of his fatherly goodness, which he does in justification. And thirdly, there is the putting on of the new man and putting off the old man with all of his deeds, which Christ does in sanctification. So all of these things, regeneration, justification, sanctification, they're all sealed to us in holy baptism. And that means that the Lord promises to work these things in us, not automatically, but in the way of faith and repentance. Baptism, it has been said, is like a check. And on the check, the Lord writes salvation, and he makes it payable to you. Now, if I give you a check for a million dollars, do you have a million dollars? No, you don't. The check merely indicates that you're entitled to a million dollars. In order to receive the million dollars in your pocket, you have to take the check to the bank and cash it in. The same is true in holy baptism. In baptism, the triune God, in whose name we are baptized, 
personally seals to us all the promises of the gospel. But in order for us to derive any benefit from that check, we need to bring it to the Lord, and we need to ask him to make good on that promise. We need to come to him as poor, lost, undone, and hell-deserving sinners, confessing our sins and our utter unworthiness, pleading for his forgiving grace through the blood of Jesus Christ. We need to ask him to fulfill the promises he made to us in our baptism. And when we do, then we have every assurance that he will do as we have asked. For this is what he has promised and sealed in our baptism. Oh, do you see what a blessing your baptism is? It's not an empty ritual. It has real significance and meaning. In our baptism, God personally seals to us that he is our God and he will bestow on us all the blessings of salvation in Christ if we believe on his name. Well, my friends, have you done that today? Our baptism is a source of rich blessing, but it can also become a terrible curse. For if we do not respond to the promises of our baptism, then we will die as covenant breakers. And those who die as covenant breakers will suffer far greater punishment in hell than those who are outside the covenant. And why is that? Because covenant children had so many privileges. They were exposed to the preaching of the word of God and hopefully the godly influence and training of their parents. They had the promises of God signified and sealed to them in holy baptism. But like Esau, they cast it aside. They sold their birthright for a lousy mess of pottage, the pottage of this world. Oh, my friend, don't be one of them. God has come to you in your baptism. He promised to be your God. He promised to give you everything you need to believe on him. Do not reject him, but turn to him, and you shall live. And so our baptism replaces circumcision. It points us to Christ, and it seals the promises of God. How wonderful that God has given us this sacrament. My friends, let us treasure it, and let us use it, and thank him for it, for he is most worthy Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can email us at banneroftruth at frcna.com. That's Banner of Truth at frcna.org. For those who take the time to write, I will gladly send you a free copy of the Belgic Confession of Faith so that you can more easily follow along as I explain each of its 37 articles. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That's all one word, banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. That's www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed in your heart 
a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, L-E-H-M-A-N, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can visit our webpage and make a donation right on our webpage. Our webpage, again, is banneroftruthradio.com. Please remember that the Lord would have his people come together to worship him. For that reason, we urge you not to use this or any other radio program as a substitute for being an active, contributing member of a faithful, Bible-believing church. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.